This morning we're going to continue um, with the study that Matt began several weeks ago from the book of, or the letter of uh, Galatians. And the passage that we'll be looking at this morning is uh, Galatians 3, 10 through 14. You may want to follow along as we'll be making some comments from that, uh, that section. And um, again, I just want to make certain that as we approach this time together in, in looking at the word, that it's God's opportunity, that we make it possible for him to speak to us. We, we unburden ourselves with all the distractions. We, we tune in to what he wants to say through his word and to, to seek for the, the application that is to come as we focus on the truths of the gospel, the truths of the letters of the, to the churches. So let's look at the passage of Scripture together, Galatians 3, 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who was hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It might be helpful for us to take just a few minutes to remember who the Galatians are. And specifically, why would Paul be writing this letter, and, and what are the matters in this letter that he wants to address? The churches in Galatia were made up of believers coming both from the Jewish tradition as well as those who were recognized outside the Jewish tradition or referred to as Gentiles, basically non-believers of anything but God. The Jewish Christians believed, however, that the Gentiles, if they really wanted to be a Christian, had to come, become first a Jew. <laughs> In other words, there were things that they had to do before they could prove themselves to be really Christian. And that was simply to adhere to the traditions of the Jewish faith. Paul, as I think Matt has emphasized a number of times, was quick to point out that this is a false teaching. It was an assault on the true gospel. It was challenging the very words of Jesus Christ. It equated salvation somehow to be associated with works of what I must do to earn my eternal life, to be in God's favor, to be approved by him, to somehow find a higher standard by what I do or maybe what I don't do, depending on how the law is approached. What this does is equate salvation not only with works of the law, but it also negates the very element or the power of the cross, of what the cross did, what Jesus did for us on the cross. It cheapens the sacrifice of our Savior, the one who gave his all, that we might find all in him and through him. 
to add anything to what is to be accomplished only through faith in Jesus Christ is the rejection of the gracious and merciful love of our Heavenly Father. It, it basically refuses to accept the very truths that God has put before us as the fact that he lived it before us in the life of Christ. The strength of the Jewish, Jewish Christian's argument comes from a century of, of tradition, an identity with a past that is rich in heritage and, and holds up as examples fathers of the faith. It's one that has been practiced for years and years, believing that the law is both a blessing and a curse. And you may remember a few weeks ago, I, I referred to a particular passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy that spelled it out quite clearly. Deuteronomy 11:26 through 28, Moses is speaking. He says, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing is, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. A blessing, if you adhere to the law. A curse, if you don't. It's pretty clear. Moses goes on in, uh, uh, speaking to the people of Israel, and he, he gathers the priests together to explain again the importance of the law. In Deuteronomy 27.9 we read, Moses speaking to the people, the Moses, then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, keep silence and hear, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day. That discourse that Moses speaks to the people, sets before the people, the importance of the law, is summarized with these words at the end of chapter 26, when he writes, 27, when he writes, or when he speaks to the people, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And the people shall say, Amen. They bought into it. It was their way. It was what they were taught. This was what was set before them. And then, and then you have the Psalms. And this also played into raising up Jewish men and women in the faith. If you just look at uh, Psalms 119.1, it begins like this. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. You are blessed as you walk in the law of the Lord. Blessings comes to you by being obedient to the law of the Lord. And the first psalm, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Another blessing by not only adhering to the law, but meditating on it, absorbing it, having it become a part of your thought pattern. Wow. Pretty good argument, don't you think? This thinking is challenged by the Apostle Paul, however, in this particular book, beginning in chapter 2, when he says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. How can he say that? 
How can Paul say that after this, these centuries of tradition and examples of the, holy, of, the, of the faithful fathers that went before them? For one reason and one reason only, Jesus said to himself, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Everything that the law needed to accomplish in the life of the people of Israel would be fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ and is offered to anyone who chooses to be faithful to Christ and not just the law. It's not, it's not just making your list of what you do and what you don't do. You don't believe in the law. You believe in the person who is the author of the law, and that is Jesus Christ, demonstrated to us through his life, resurrection, and soon coming. So, again, going back to Galatians 2.16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. We are not going to be justified by us keeping our list and checking it twice and finding out who's naughty and who's nice. But by the works of the law, no one will be justified, according to the Apostle Paul, referring to specifically the teachings of Christ. And then again, as we began this study of this particular passage, the opening verse reads, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed, is, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident no one is justified by God, before God by the law, for the righteousness shall live by faith. That's the key word, faith. Faith not in how good your list is. Faith in Christ himself and Christ alone. The, prob the problem that Paul was pointing out here is this whole thing of a curse. What is the curse? The curse is the consequences of breaking the law. The curse is the consequences of sinning. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If that's the case, that means we're all under the curse. Is that not right? James kind of expands on that in his writing when he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. It's all or nothing if you're going to be perfect in the law. If you come up short, you're not going to win. <laughs> Isaiah. And it's a beautiful passage, and, it, and just, just a couple of, of, of uh, statements that he makes in his writings. He says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We have turned everyone to our own sinful way. We are steeped in sin. And the law is not going to save us. The only salvation that we have is not adherence to the law, but adherence to Jesus Christ alone. Isaiah goes on to write later in his book, or is recorded in Isaiah 64, 6a. And all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. And matter of fact, you may be real good, but your goodness doesn't come to any comparison at all to the perfection in Jesus Christ and him alone. 
If not the law, what then? Well, I think we've already answered that, but just to emphasize the point again, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. It is faith in Jesus and faith in him alone, says Paul. He writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for all of us. Everything that we deserve because of our sinning, the sins that we bear day in and day out, become the very burden of Christ as he goes to the cross and pays the ultimate sacrifice to cover the curse that is upon us because he becomes the one who was cursed. This is explained again in um, the same passage where Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for all us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That, that image is just powerful. Hanging on a tree for you and for me. This, this statement that Paul just made is also reinforced in Peter's first letter to the churches where he says, he himself, meaning Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. Hanging on a tree that we might die to our sins and live to righteousness. Wow. This whole point that I think is summarized in a statement that Paul makes in this little section that we looked at was said centuries before he even came on the scene. It was said by a prophet named Habakkuk when he was speaking to the people of Israel, and he said to them, but the righteous will live by his faith. It's faith. It's faith and nothing more. I'm going to ask a question, and certainly don't want you to have to respond out loud. Just want you to think about this for a minute. How much of our pursuit of God, personally, how much is, our, how much is my pursuit of God defined by works? How much, how do, how do, I, how do I rate myself in coming up to God's standards, what he expects of me. Do I believe by what I do or what I don't do somehow is going to make, make me have a, have a higher approval in God's rating system? It was years ago I read a book by Philip Yancey uh, called what is, what, What's So Amazing About Race? And he made a statement there has stuck with me all these years. <laughs> and it kind of keeps me on track to get away from this legalism of my faith, of how well I'm doing in my daily devotions, of how well I'm doing in my prayer life, of how well I'm doing in my attendance at church, of how, I'm, how well I'm doing in taking care of my neighbor, of how well I'm doing in, in serving those around me. He made this statement. There is not one thing I can do 
to make God love me anymore. And there's not one thing I cannot do to make him love me any less. It's not based on what I do. It's based on who I have faith in that has done it for me. There, there are, there's a couple of passages in the, in the gospel, I want to just land on here for a second, that I think really illustrate this struggle that we have in understanding what we're supposed to do and how does it translate into really an act of faith, an act of trusting in Christ as compared to what we think we need to do to make certain we got it all right with the Lord. Mark records this event in Christ's life. And as he was sitting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have done since my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him. Hear that? Loved him. Not because of what he has done, but because he's a child of God. Loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. What a great invitation. Disheartened by what was said, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The man recognized that his obedience to the law had not satisfied his quest for the assurance of eternal life. He hadn't found it. He was looking for something beyond the law. Jesus recognized the sincerity of this man's inquiry, and the invitation that Jesus extended to this man was not to sell your riches and serve the poor as one of the good deeds that you've got to do if you want to have eternal life. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. The invitation was to discover what, really, what truly is the riches in this life, the riches from heaven, the treasures in heaven. Discover what God has to offer and not what the world has to offer. The invitation was simply... Trust in me, Jesus is saying. Trust in me. Follow me. Follow me. Don't worry about the law. Just follow me. If you follow me, the law will take care of itself. There's another event recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus told this parable to some who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I, of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his, tre- beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful, merciful to me, a sinner. And this is what Jesus says. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. One man was resting upon his works. He's justified himself by reminding God how good he has been and all the things that he has done just as God told him to do, told him to do it. He also justified himself by comparing his righteousness to those who were not so meritorious, hadn't achieved his level of success in the faith. The other man acknowledged the curse that was upon him as a sinner, and he rested in the mercy of God to deliver him. And then Jesus pointed out, he, the tax collector, not the religious Pharisee, would be justified, not by works, but by faith, by trusting in Christ. Our passage in its kind of closing comments of this section makes one more point. The blessings promised to the father of their faith, Abraham, was with them. It was with the Jewish Christians, but it was also with the Gentiles. He says, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Through faith, everything that God has promised was for the Christian, Jew or Gentile. It's expanded for us, I think, to help at least understand it to some degree in, in the writings in Romans 4, 1 through 5, where we read, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to be him as righteous. righteous. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, what he has earned. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Faith counted as righteousness, not deeds counted as righteousness. Abraham was the example to these Jewish Christians as one who was not justified by the law, but was justified by trusting in God. The law wasn't even in existence at this time. Moses hasn't come on the scene yet. Abraham was trusting God for everything, going into a land he had never been before, trusting in him that he was going to be the father of all nations. Simply by abandoning all earthly things and surrendering himself entirely to God, it was the great act of faith, believing in what God said he would do. Simply put, the righteous will live by his faith. Life, abundant, life eternal, is found only in Christ, through faith in Christ, not by works. I'm just going to close with one verse that Matt set before us when he began this study on Galatians. It is, I think in some ways it should be a life verse for a lot of us here. It, one, reason, one thing it means so much to me, and, it, and it, it's insignificant to probably to most of you, but um, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. How many of you know Phillips, Craig, and Dean? 
relieved. Three of you do. Um, great, great uh, music group. And they sang a song, Crucified with Christ. And these are the words of the song. But more importantly, these are the words of the gospel. These are the very words written in the letter that Paul sent to Galatia. Galatia 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, may we be mindful that everything that we need, everything that we could ask for, is found in you. And so by faith, not by works, we trust in you for the life that we enjoy now and the life that is promised forever. In Christ's name, amen.